0: All right, guys, well good morning, morning. it is great to be back in Simi Valley, Uh, you know we made this drive for like two years uh, and uh, so it was uh, very reminiscent for us, uh, Gwen and I and the kids and we brought Dylan who is uh, a brother from uh, Palmdale and he's an awesome guy, he got to make the trip with us and I just remember so many times coming to Simi Valley because we were living up in the uh, Antelope Valley and still and worshiping here for two years and uh, so it was uh, really cool to kind of get all the feelings coming back and all the relationships and the people we we're going to see. Uh, just to let you know, our family's doing great. Uh, we bought a house in Simi Valley, uh, a nice house with a, with a, I'm sorry, in Palmdale, uh, with a, <laughs> and we rented it out and we moved to Palmdale, no, I'm just kidding. So we bought a house in, in Palmdale and um, it's, a, it's a, a four bedroom house with uh, for uh, 335000 So hey, look. Don't be mad at us, because it's uh, affordable. You know, we can, we can live. And we literally work you know, 20, 25 minutes each relatively from our jobs, so it's great. Kids are doing awesome. Um, they're becoming teenagers. And uh, for those of you who know, you know. So, uh, so it's great to be here. Um, I am dressed in all black today, maybe you noticed. Uh, it's pretty much where I wear a lot as an interpreter. But one of my favorite artists, also dressed in all black. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, the man in black, right? And uh, he had a song recently, what was it, Hurt? Is that what, that, that uh, was played uh, on the, uh, the, the, the pop charts uh, before, just before he passed. And uh, so some of you who are younger may know who he is, but you don't really know who he is because, you know, it's like. To hear Johnny Cash, you kind of have to grow up with him. And my parents taught me about Johnny Cash, and I listened to him growing up. And he had this really interest, interesting song. He had several interesting songs. But one was called A Boy Named Sue. <laughs> right, so you're familiar with the song, right? A Boy Named Sue. And So it's a song about uh, this, 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 this man who's grown up with the name Sue, and his dad gave him the name when he was born. And then his dad left. So his dad calls him Sue. That's his name when he's born, and he left. And he grows up, having to fight and, 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 and defend himself. And be, he becomes this rugged, tough guy because of his name, Sue. Well, he makes it his life ambition to go and find his dad because he's going to teach his dad a lesson <laughs> for calling him Sue. So one day in a, in, a, in a broken down dive bar somewhere, he runs across the guy because he had an old picture of him, and he goes up to him, and he goes, my name is Sue. How do you do? And him and his, he goes, he basically goes, you're going to die. So they get in this brawl fight, him and his dad, and they, you know, right, they crash out of the window, and they're rolling about in the mud and the blood and the beer, right? They're just getting into it. And finally... He gets to the point where he's ready to do his dad in, and said, "Before you do, let me explain why I named you Sue, because I knew I wasn't going to be there to help you. And by naming you this name, you are going to become this tough person, and look what you've become. And so they hug and you know and uh, it gets kind of, you know, father, son, you know, I'm about to cry now," kind of thing, right? And then, um, then Johnny Cash, at the end of the song, he says, and if I have a kid, I'm going to name him Bill or Bob or anything but Sue, right? Right? He's, gonna, he's never going to name him Sue because it's such a horrible experience. I can relate to this. You see, at the end of World War II, we started a Cold War with Russia, right? And the Americans did not like the Russians. They were the enemy. And in 1970, when I was born, my parents named me Ivan. So growing up during the Cold War in America, named Ivan, I got teased all the time. Are you a communist? Are you Russian? And then it didn't help that in every movie, every Russian was named Ivan. Every one of them. Ivan Drodgo, there was wrestler Ivan Pudke, Pudski, there was all these, all, you know, there was Crazy Ivan in Hunt for Red October, and so, which I relate to that, but um, <laughs> that's what, you know, growing up with the name Ivan, it kind of shaped who I was, yeah. right? It shaped, shaped me a little bit, and now I like my name because it's different, you know, and you know, you know, there's not too many Ivans around, you know, so when, you know, I kind of stick out so people know who I am, that can be good and bad. Depends if you're trying to get away with something or not, <laughs> but, uh, but I like my name because it kind of shaped who I am. Yeah. Well, ha- has any of you, but like when I was a kid, I didn't want that name. Right. How many of you went through a period of time in your life where you didn't want your name? Yeah. Is there anybody here who's willing to share a name that they would rather have than their own? <laughs> You'd rather have the name David, okay? Taylor. Taylor. Axel Rose, (laughs) alright. Rocky. Rocky. (laughs) Hagen, Hayden, alright. So we all went through that time where we just didn't like our name. Well, it's really interesting because in ancient Near East, your name was more than just a word. Your name was your identity. And we're going to read about Jacob today. And the name Jacob means incredibly great man. No. The name Jacob sounds a lot like the Hebrew word for deceiver or liar. So no matter what your name was, even if it was Sue and you're a guy, I think liar would be a worse name, right? Can you imagine growing up with that? You know, like, um, liar, come here. Did you do this, liar? Did you do this, liar? (laughs) Liar, did you? Like, how, like, you'd be like, oh my, like, I can't get away with anything, because that's just who I am, right? He had a brother named Esau, which means basically red hairy guy, (laughs) right? And, And Esau was born before Jacob, but barely, they were twins. And Jacob is grasping Esau's ankle as he's coming out of the womb, trying to pull him back maybe, is the thought, so he can come out first, because the firstborn has all the birthrights. Well, there was a lot of dysfunction in this family, you know, that Jacob's mom really doted on Jacob, Esau's dad doted on him, it created tension, I don't know, like, for you, but for me, I see it in my own kids, how their constant vying for attention can create long-term issues, it's a really interesting thing, but you know, you try to love all your kids equally, and you and I don't. I'm constantly going. Well, if I do this for him, I'm going to have to do something for those two because they're going to get. And you know, you're. I was. I'm constantly trying to find that balance so they, they feel equal love from me. But in this family, they didn't even care. It was just obvious, right? And so they go through this time where uh, they grow up. These boys grow up and. Esau has the birthright and he comes home starving, really hungry. One day he's out, he's this kind of burly guy and he was out hunting and stuff. And um, I guess he didn't catch anything. And he comes home and, and his brother, Jacob, is making this stew and he really wants some of it. And he goes, if you give me your birthright, I'll give you the stew and he makes the deal, right? He makes a deal and I really believe that's when God goes, all right, he didn't really value what was important here, right? Esau didn't value what was important. But Jacob knew what was important. And so they go through their lives, and he's really mad at them or whatever. They, they have this really contentious relationship. I had a contentious relationship with my brother when I was growing up. Now we love each other, but w- when we're growing up, it was really just we were at each other all the time. So I kind of get this story. But Jacob makes this decision with his mom's prompting, that you can't just get the birthright from his brother. He's got to get it from the dad, too. And at this point, Isaac, the father, is going blind, right? And Esau is away. His dad tells him, go get some game, go hunting, come back, and we'll give you the birthright. Well, Jacob comes in and usurps Esau and basically disguises himself in a sense. His father is going blind, but he puts, like, you know sheepskin and makes himself kind of feel hairy, and his dad kind of fills him out, and, and he can't see really well. He goes, you sound like Jacob. Now, well, let's read. Genesis 27. He went to his father and said, my father. This is Jacob. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau your firstborn i have done as you told me please sit up and eat some of the game so that you may give me your blessing isaac asked his son how did you find it so quickly my son the lord your god gave me success he replied then isaac said to jacob come near so i can touch you my son i know whether you are so i know whether or not you're really my son esau or not Jacob went close to his father Isaac who touched him and said the voice is the voice of Jacob but the hands are the hands of Esau because he's hairy right he did not recognize him for for his hands were hairy like those of his brother so he proceeded to bless him are you really my son Esau he asked i am he replied you don't have to answer but have any of you ever lied to your parents? No. <laughs> and then my next question is: Are any of you lying now? <laughs> so, so I, I remember lying to my parents, and I remember the feeling, the emotional feeling. It was such an incredibly strong emotional feeling that I can still remember it to this day, and I'm some years old. Yeah. <laughs> and. And so, so we, see, we see Esau, or we see Jacob lying to his dad. Well, his dad gives him the blessing. This enrages his brother Esau, enrages him. So Jacob has to leave, because his is going to do things that are not nice to him, right? When, once his dad dies. So that he goes to live with his uncle Laban. And he, there when, with Laban, he... He finds the, 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 the love of his life, Rachel. He's this incredible woman. And Laban says, well, you know, work for me for seven years and you can marry her. So he does. He works seven years, right? That's a long courtship, right? That's a lot of double dates, you know what I'm saying? And so, and so at the end of these seven years, at the end of the seven years, the marriage ceremony happens, They consummate their marriage and Jacob wakes up the next morning to this look in his beautiful bride's eyes and they're crossed because he actually married her sister, (laughs) Leah, right? And she's cross-eyed, right? And he's mad because he got deceived, right? He got deceived. I mean, how dare anybody deceive Jacob? And he goes, well, that's how we do it here. You know, you got to marry the firstborn daughter. That's just the way it is. But if you work another seven years, if you promise to do that, I'll let you marry Rachel in a week. So he does. Anyways, they have this relationship that goes back and forth. And, and basically, Jacob just continues to basically deceive Laban. And at one point, it culminates to this point where they're just like... Um, He's like, I gotta go. Your dad's attitude has changed to me. He's talking to his wife. Your dad's attitude's changed to me. The whole thing's weird. I gotta get out of here. So we gotta, let's run. But he's running with like herds of sheep, right? So just a note like, if you're gonna try to go on the lamb, don't take the lamb. You know, like, they're gonna catch you, right? And before they go, she, you know, his, his, his wife Rachel takes his dad's gods and she hides them. So the dad, Laban, comes running after him and they meet and they basically agree right there. You don't pass this spot. I won't pass this spot. We'll be at peace. And they build this stone monument. And then Jacob goes on back, and he's going to go back to his homeland. So he sends some notification ahead, like to test the water. Hey, uh, tell Esau I'm coming, see how he is. Well, Esau says, Oh, you are? He gathers 400 men and says, Let's go meet. Right? So now Jacob has all his family, all his kids all his sheep, everything, and he's sitting at this river and he can't go back because he has that stone pillar. So he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, (laughs) right? And he sends his whole family across the river, right? And he sits there alone and all this like, I've got 400 men and my brother, I can't go back, I can't do this and it gets quiet And you can hear Southwest Airlines say, you want to get away? (laughs) Right? Like, he's like, he doesn't want to be here. He's in this, like, really crazy, like, have you ever been so down, like, your life? In AA, they call it hitting your bottom, right? Hitting your rock bottom. Jacob's hitting his rock bottom. You ever sin, maybe you tell a, a, a gossip about somebody and it comes back to you? And how you feel about what happened? I don't know. You guys probably don't. I've experienced that. <laughs> right? And it comes back to you. And like how scared you feel. Like because you just blew it and you know you blew it. Yeah, right. or, or maybe you told a lie and it catches up to you. Or whatever sin it is. And when your sin catches up to you, that feeling of heaviness, yeah. all you can do is what? Reach out to God right? And so the passage here, Jacob wrestles with God. Now, I'm not getting into the doctrine issue whether he was wrestling with an angel or Jesus, an incarnate Jesus at the time, or I mean, there's all these different philosophies, but the bottom line is he's wrestling with a representative of God, and in his mind, he's wrestling with God, right? Right? And it's this intense encounter. And it almost happens out of nowhere. It, doesn't, it just says, you know, the scripture, if we read it here. It says, that night Jacob got up, took his wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. It's such a weird like transition, right? Like there's nothing more there. There's like it just feels like this guy showed up and they didn't even talk. They just started wrestling. So when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So this hip was wrenched and he and as, as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, "Let me go for it is daybreak." But Jacob replied, "I will not let you go." I will not let you go. Anyways, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked him, What is your name? And Jacob answers. Or Jacob, he answers. The man said, He goes on to, I'm going to read that in a second. But you got to put this in perspective. The last time we see Jacob being asked his name is with his earthly father, and he lies now he's being asked what his name is with his heavenly father but it's more than just what is your name he's saying who are you who are you really you want my blessing come to grips with who you are who are you and what does he have to say he can't say Esau he can't say anything else he has to look up while he's wrestling with god and say i'm a liar i'm a deceiver this is who i am i mean how many times in our lives like when you come to christianity i think you come to that time right i we, we we i i came to a point in time where i'm like i give up I'm turning myself in, God, I can't do this on my own, I know I need you, and God said, who are you, and I had to come clean, this is who I am, but I've had to do that periodically ever since I became a Christian, right, yeah, I didn't really struggle with sin, I don't, I didn't struggle with sin before I became a Christian, right, I just did it, you know, so, so when you become a Christian, you're like, oh, okay, I really got really to start fighting this stuff. And as you struggle with sin, more and more stuff comes out, and your heart, you just start seeing it over time, and you're like, wow, I do hate people. Wow, you know, I always said I didn't, but I do, like, right? Like, I, I can't stand this kind of person, I can't stand it. And it's amazing. It's so hard sometimes in our Christian walk with God when we're, when we're, when we're with him and we're, we're praying to him and we start to realize who we really are again. Yeah. And we have to, have to say it. Yeah. But sometimes I don't, I don't want to say it. I don't want to come to grips with who I am. No, I am a good husband. I am. I don't care. I'm a good father. I don't, yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but I'm not, re- I'm not really ready to admit that yet. It's like, you know that time, those of you who are married or maybe with your friends, where you're in a fight with someone, an argument, and you realize you're wrong, <laughs> but you don't want to admit it yet? You know what I'm talking about. That's why you're laughing. Because there's a time when you're in, you're in it, you're in it, and you know you're wrong, and you know you need to shut up, And you know you need to say you're sorry, but you're just going to carry it on for a little while longer. And sometimes that is the same way in our relationship with God. We're not ready to come to grips with who we are. But I'm telling you, God is God. He's who he is. So until you admit that, it's just going to get harder. right? He's going to send Laban with 400 people. He's going to send... Or he's going to send Esau with 400 people. Laban's going to be behind you. You're going to have all this stuff going on. You're like, I don't even know what to do. Right? But once you say, once you admit to who you are, once you realize who you are, and you're not like, I'm not all that. Like Jacob did. He says, what is your name? He goes, Jacob, liar. And God says, then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You see, God, God has a whole new identity for us. And we don't have to be defined by our sin. We don't have to be defined by our bad decisions. You know, an interesting place I see this play out is where I work. I work for a level four maximum security prison. I'm in the northern part of LA in Lancaster. Level four is like the highest level, right? Like they have an electrified fence that you don't want to touch and um, it's pretty crazy and I walk the yard. I'm an interpreter so I walk through the yard. There are people around me, inmates around me all the time, in front of me, behind me and these are the worst of the worst right? These people have murdered, raped, molested, robbed, anything you can think of that's bad, these are these guys, because they're level four. And not only did they do that, but they came to prison at some point and kept doing bad, so they got moved up to a level four. And so there's some really, really People ask me, like, like, Ivan, how can you work there? How can you be around these horrible people? I'm like, well, they're not like that all the time, (laughs) right? It's it's not like they're, "Eh, eh, 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 eh." you know. (laughs) Some of them just made bad decisions, right? Some of them just were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Some of them, you know, whatever it was, they got to where they were, But that's not who they are all the time. And there's some of them that let their crimes and the things that they've done define who they are. And those guys stay in the gangs and they stay focused on being these people that are always trying to one up everybody and get whatever they can and take and take and take. Then you have groups of people, like little spots of light where where men have made heinous decisions and done some bad things and they're going to be in for a long time but they've gotten their GED they're working on their college degree they're um, working on themselves they've got jobs we have a a dog training program where we bring um, dogs in and they train the dogs uh, for service animals for veterans they do the training They have a very small window that they can operate in to do good, but they maximize it. And it's amazing because they made a decision that, yeah, I've made some bad decisions in the past, but I'm not going to let it define my future. And I think in God, that's what we can do, but we have to come to grips with it. We have to come to grips with who we are. We have to be honest and open with people in God, get the help we need, and let God work in our life so that we no longer have to be lustful man, uh, gossip girl. I know that's a show, but I just thought of it. Or, or whatever, you know, whatever this name is, right? Whatever this, this, we can be children of God. We can be member of Christ's body. We can be holy. As the passage says, Therefore, if anyone in Christ, if if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. We are made new in Christ. How awesome is that? We don't have to let everything that we've done define this. And the really cool thing about it is it's it's not like it's going to take you a year to change. You can change right now, it doesn't take. It's not like, you know, it's, it's not like, I don't know if you remember the old Schick commercials, it takes two weeks and a couple of two-day follow-ups to stop smoking. They're, it's a very old commercial. Um, but you don't have to take two weeks. You don't have to let anything try to, uh, to, to you, you don't have to come up with a plan. You just have to make a decision and things will come, right? Because what does God want us to be? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We are children of God. Let's live like it, and let's let our identifi- identity be defined by God and not our sin. Amen? Amen.